Good morning. It's Iowemala, and today is Friday, December the 10th. So we went from, um, it's, our weather seems to be changing constantly, so today it's sunny. It's cold, but it's sunny. Sky is a little overcast. So who knows what the forecast is? It's better to just surrender, I think, to the to the changing climate. So we're going to continue reading uh, today from Wisdom is Bliss by Robert Thurman, Four Friendly Fun Facts That Can Change Your Life. And so the book is a description. And remember, he, uh, Robert Thurman is a scholar, a Buddhist, a teacher, and he is um, in the uh, practices in the Tibetan tradition. So it's different reading this than the way most of our uh, Theravadan books are written. So I think it's it's very good because it it uses different images, different examples, and uh, different different kinds of teachings. But the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path is universal to Buddhism. These are the things that came directly out of the Buddha's enlightened enlightenment experience. They are the essence of the teachings. So we've been reading uh, the chapter, the first chapter on the realistic worldview, which is right understanding in the way we typically talk about it in the Theravadan teachings. And right meaning appropriate, harmonious, uh, uh, maybe the highest in terms of uh, ethical practices. And uh, realistic is the way Robert Thurman suggests we talk about it. Because instead of right or wrong, which is uh, the dualistic way of looking at it, a realistic view of the world is actually what the Buddha was telling us we needed to get that ego, personality, get get our own perceptions and uh, everything about us that's part of that self, to try to get as much of that out of the way to see things clearly, not to see it just through the eyes that, uh, in the in the brain that we have. Uh, that's developed based on different causes and conditions, but to see it really clearly, the way it really is, and that that understanding of the world can really help us. So what I'll do today is read a bit, and then if you have questions, uh, those questions, we can stop, and I can maybe um, ex- explain a little more or add something to it, and if you have a question, just type it down. So, I put my marker in. Right at the beginning of how to actually develop the realistic viewpoint. And I may have read some of this, but let me go back and start with this section, how to actually develop the realistic viewpoint, the realistic worldview. So I think this is because it's how to specifically develop it, this is good. So I'll stop after the first page and see. 
I think I read this first page, but I'll do it again. How to actually develop the realistic worldview. There is no better instruction for developing the Buddhist worldview than a short set of verses given by Sankhapa, inspired by the angel of wisdom, Manjusri, and written in a letter to a student of his in Eastern Tibet. Though you may experience transcendence and feel the spirit of enlightenment, Without the wisdom realizing freedom, you cannot cut the root of cyclic life. So that's from the uh, from his teacher, uh, one of one of the Tibetan teachers, inspired by Manjusri. That's one uh, gata or one paragraph of of uh, from that teacher, and then we'll read his explanation in the next. The wisdom of the realistic view is the most important of the three principles of the path to enlightenment, the first being the transcendent attitude that lowers the priority of worldly ambitions and focuses on the great quest of life, and the second, the spirit of enlightenment of the bodhisattva, the loving will to bring all other beings with you into freedom from suffering. From the first mention of freedom from suffering, it is equated with relativity. Who sees the sure causality of things, of both cyclic life and liberation, and ends all objectivity convic- convictions, thus find the path, thus finds the path that pleases Buddhas. So it's, yeah, I don't want to take too many liberties explaining this because it's, you know, this, the way the Tibetans would look at it is a little bit different from me too. But when we, we first that focused on the great quest of life, uh, I think of that as um, that's what the Eightfold Path can do for us just as, regular human being just trying to make this lifetime be the best it can be. And that is the the, the great quest of life. So uh, the worldly ambitions and focuses on the great quest of life. So it's letting go of so many of the worldly things that, that we see in this world of samsara and beginning to focus on the quality of our lives. And that's when we look at the Eightfold Path or uh, these views that we're calling the, the Four Friendly Fun Facts. And we begin to see it as a way to live a better human life and to really uh, work with us in this lifetime. And the next part of this is when we begin to look at this path as uh, in the spirit of becoming enlightened, and the bodhisattva spirit is to be sure that we're bringing others along with us. We don't focus on that bringing others along with us in the Theravadan tradition, but we definitely are reaching out to others in our compassion and our spirit of uh, uh, caring about others. Now, here, here, then we go into the next. The first step of realism is the acceptance of causation, which and this is the, the acceptance of 
there's always, there are causes and conditions for everything that we experience. And that just goes back endlessly. The first step of realism is the exception, the acceptance of causation, which implies not continuing to project intrinsic reality, a thing in itselfness, into relative things we perceive. Visions inevitably relative and emptiness free from all assertions. As long as these are understood apart, the Buddha's intention is not yet known. Here he cautions against dualism, which leads to thinking of the ultimate emptiness and nibbana as a place apart from the relative world of apparent things. So nibbana is not a place we go to. Nibbana uh, is, is a state we arrive at when we begin to perceive and deeply uh, inhabit a realistic worldview and work with it. So it's, uh, so I'll read that sentence again before I read the little uh, verse. Here he cautions against dualism, which leads to thinking of the ultimate emptiness and nirvana, nirvana as a place apart from the relative world of apparent things. But when they coincide, not alternating, just seeing inexorable relativity, secures your knowing free of objective of objectivity habits and investigation of the realistic view is complete. So these things are all relative. They all exist. They all exist in the same universe. So when you see things, even in a misperceiving way, when they seem, seem like absolutes, things in themselves, the mere fact of seeing them proves their relativity and frees you from being stuck with them as absolutely and objectively separate from you and your experience. More as seeing clears out absolutism and emptying clears out nihilism, you will see freedom dawn as cause and effect and will not be robbed by extremist views. So the Buddha saw that 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 the extreme uh, views or nihilism that we just live and then we die and nothing there's nothing, and the other extreme is a is a world of uh, you know there are heavens to to go to and uh, extremely uh, thinking that life goes on forever that way through heaven and. Um, those two extremes the buddha said we find the he found the middle path and that middle path is where we need to need to be and work from so i'll read that again more as seeing clears out absolutism and emptying clears out nihilism you will see freedom dawn as cause and effect and will not be robbed by extremist views and cause and effect is what we call um, dependent origination. So something happens that's because of other things, other conditions and causes have come together and something ripens and happens. So that's the way, that's the way the universe operates. This final verse is unique 
in this kind of instruction, as it reverses your meditation on emptiness as antidote for projecting absolute intrinsic identities into self and things, and on relativity as antidote for thinking empty things are nothing and carries your realistic insight into your daily experiences so your daily life becomes non-dually unified with your contemplative investigation of reality. Seeing things becomes antidote to absolutism, and knowing becomes antidote to nihilism. It's what I call the Chinese finger trap version of living meditation. It turns ordinary experience into an automatic cultivation of liberating wisdom. Pulling away holds you tighter. And here I think he's talking about uh, that meditation doesn't become this completely other experience. Um, It becomes a way to help us see that nihilism and the absolutism, uh, that neither of those are the extremes that we want to be working from. So we don't need to think the antidote for thinking empty things are nothing and carries your realistic insight into your daily experience. So your daily life becomes non-dually unified with your contemplative investigation of reality. And that's when we talk about meditation is our training for our everyday life. So everything we need to see and experience to know these truths the Buddha taught are in our everyday life. And meditation is the practice to help us gain the the, uh, the ability to see things clearly. So we can meditate, but then we go out and our daily life is what it, it was what teaches us. Then we see because our minds are calm and we're beginning to see uh, through the, the illusion of having this self that's full of ideas and full of things that are basically just our ego and our personality. You know, it's the, we're, we're learning in meditation to kind of move that veil out of the way and see things really clearly without all of our backgrounds and culture and education and opinions and viewpoints and, uh, family history and work history, all of that can can cloud, actually cloud our, our view. And we want to see it with all those filters taken away. So the meditation works with our daily living. If they're not separate things and one is not an escape from the other. This shows that the super education and that's, that's using the Eightfold Path as our uh, path to liberation, that supereducation is not at all any sort of indoctrination, but really a liberation, a path for you to discover your existential freedom in the world, your commitment to relativity, to causation, becomes a solvent that erodes your conscious or subliminal entrapment in all the various absolute, supposedly apart from your immersion in relational life. So 
our views do not have to be separate from what we see. You know, our views can be completely, we, there's not a difference between, say, a spiritual uh, or uh, the path the, the path to liberation and what we see and experience in our daily lives. Our reifying or making a thing out of a concept, that reifying habit is so powerful. We can even think of a nothing as if it were something. <laughs> On the other hand, this is subtle but important. Getting the absoluteness of relativity does not mean resigning oneself to the samsaric relativity of endless suffering. So, that's, I think he's right. This is subtle but very important. So, being aware of samsara, of the way the world is, and the way things work in this world, does not mean resigning ourselves to that samsaric journey uh, endlessly. So if we want to live a good life in this samsaric world, which is what we start out, we want to end suffering. And that's what may bring us into the Buddha's teachings. But we can learn how to live well and live happily in this world of samsara. But that doesn't mean that we stay there. The more we learn, the more we experience, the more we see things clearly. We want to be liberated from this endless cycle of suffering that is samsara, or this world we live in. Because viscerally, knowing the absoluteness of the relativity seals the free-flowing bliss that allows your compassion for others' suffering to overwhelm it. Because uh, that's what we what happens if we just resign ourselves to the to the samsaric reality of endless suffering. Thus, the realistic worldview puts us on a path of gradual erosion of the fetters that are based in our distorted inner sense that what we really are is some kind of fixated, isolated, absolute self, problematically and temporarily enclosed in a relative and vulnerable body, dealing with potentially dangerous other relative beings and things, all of which are potentially troublesome for our intrinsically separate self. So this is what that uh, when we talk about no self in Buddhism, the self that we're getting away from is what he's describing here. That this is a beautiful description. If we have the worldview, and that's a view of a separate self, like I am me and everything else is totally separate, and I have to be aware of that and and only find a, pla- a safe place. So the realistic worldview puts us on a path of gradual erosion of the fetters. Those are the things that bind us. And the fetters become our defilements. They, they're the chains that we're in that are based in our distorted inner sense that what we really are, this is what we, is the distorted sense of ourselves. That we are some sort of, sort of fixated, isolated, absolute self. 
problematically and temporarily enclosed in a dangerous, in a potentially dangerous, wait a minute, temporarily enclosed in a relative and vulnerable body dealing with potentially dangerous other relative beings and things, all of which are potentially troublesome for our intrinsically separate self. Okay, that's the the viewpoint of having a self. Doesn't sound very uh, wonderful. Once we keep our focus on our immersion in causal processes, and that's the those are the conditions and the causes that from the past that create things right now. So once we keep our focus on our immersion in causal processes and examine all possible absolutes outside of relativity, we discover their emptiness of any separate existence. Our own sense of isolated existence dissolves and we realize the absoluteness of our participation in relativity, which we can call the non-duality of absolute and relative. This is the, the discovery of the relative as the absolute by melting the projected absoluteness out of particular relatives. This is how wisdom becomes love. So we begin to see how we are connected with all other living beings, with the earth, with animals, with all the all other people. My favorite expression for this is Nargajuna's famous Sunyata Karuna Garbam. And in English, that means emptiness as the womb of compassion. Or you could call it freedom, the womb of love. As the Dalai Lama says about the benefit of the realistic view of non-dual freedom slash relativity, through this understanding of interconnected reality, you come to realize that if good things happen to others, you will also benefit. If our, if not immediately, then eventually. If they suffer, suffer, you eventually suffer. Therefore, you are better able to empathize with people from very different backgrounds. Compassion for them becomes easier. And that's really the whole point of all of this. Anything that happens to us good is good for others, and anything that, and good, uh, yeah, he says that. He said the Dalai Lama, let me read what he says again. This is what that interconnection with others is, is this is what it means. Through this understanding of interconnected reality, you come to realize that if good things happen to others, you will also benefit. If not immediately, then eventually. If they suffer, you eventually suffer. Therefore, you are better able to emphasize with people from very different backgrounds. Compassion for them becomes easier. So it's that understanding of our interconnection with everything that actually allows us to send out loving kindness and compassion. Because even to our enemies, if, if the people who are our difficult people, our enemies, 
people we don't like, people who have hurt us, if they are not suffering, then that becomes a, that's a good thing for us. If they suffer, you eventually suffer. So do if that's what makes them probably become our enemies, that or the fact that they're just different from us and so we don't understand them. But very often the people that are who are we think of as enemies or really really difficult people, they may have suffered a great deal. Uh in the past, it could even be that they came into this life with things that they uh, have not been able to work with in this life. Maybe they had difficulties in previous lives that they're still carrying with them. But if they suffer, we find that we end up suffering too, because that suffering may be expressed as anger or violence or uh, as greed. So. This is essentially what he's saying is the more we understand how connected we are to everything else the 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 better it is for us and and it's the spaciousness that that opens up that's the the uh that's the emptiness as it would be described in uh, Tibetan Buddhism emptiness as the womb of compassion Well, we've used our time. If you have a question, if you type it, I will try to get to it. And I started a bit late today, so let's still, we can still, um, yeah, lots of people are just glad to see other people here. I love, I love seeing how people, uh, connect with the group of people. We're, we're connecting even when it's on, Facebook, which is maybe the enemy to many people. Um, the next, the next short section that I won't read today is Buddhism is realism, not religion, as defined today. So this, uh, his writing is beautiful. I love, let's see what Eva says, because you're always here. Every sentence is full of provocative thoughts. I need to reread and reflect. It would be good to buy this book. And uh, Steve, my uh, ordinary time when I start live is 10, but I was late today. Um, this book is Wisdom is Bliss, and it's by Robert Thurman, and it's by the Hay House uh, uh publishers. It's Wisdom is Bliss. It was just put out in 2021. It was a great a gift from my friend Allison Lewis. So I always call her my, she's the, my uh, fairy godmother of uh, <laughs> wonderful books to read. She and a couple of other people keep me, keep me up. Um, Wisdom is Bliss. And it's not a big book, but it absolutely is a book that you can read and reread and uh it's it's really good i think for me with the, my focus is theravada buddhism that that i can read something by someone like robert thurman and kind of take it apart and see how similar uh and and yet sometimes when we read from a different tradition it can open our eyes to something that 
might have been a little cloudy for us or not as clear. So, so for Heather, this is the book, Wisdom is Bliss by Robert Thurman. The subtitle I love, and it's uh, published by Hay House, and I'm sure it's on Amazon or how or in bookstores. He's quite a he's quite a well well known author. So, yeah, this just these couple of pages we read. He's really talking about why meditation needs not to be what we we don't want to think of our meditation as a way to escape from the world and just be you know in this delightful place uh which is often even people trying to leave their body meditation is a very physical practice rooted in being in the body and staying in the body and everything that we experience as we meditate is only it's it's to help us st- stabilize our mind and through many layers of our meditation practice but we're from the very minute we begin we're beginning to stabilize our mind and allow it to start seeing through the veils of self and and you know all the all the layers that we have in front of us that that uh, filter everything we see I'll give you an example. I share with my mom when I talk to her every day about the squirrels and how as it's becoming winter, how fat they're getting and chubby. Thank you, Eva. And um, lately, and, and I talk to her about it all the time and we chat about it. And so lately, what she thinks about when I talk about the squirrels is, now my mom is 97, so she thinks about her dad and she grew up way in the boonies in East Texas. She thinks about her dad, who was not a hunter, but once in a while, some of his friends or his relatives out in the piney woods would uh, get him to go squirrel hunting with them. And so my my mom will talk about, and I know she doesn't do it to be cruel, but just lately, she, I know she's going back in her memory and that's where she's spending some of her time. And so when I talk about my squirrels getting chubby and fat to uh, make it through the winter, seems like frequently she starts talking about how her dad a couple of times hunted, went squirrel hunting, and that squirrel meat is really good from what she remembers. But he didn't, he wasn't a hunter, and so that was not very often that they had squirrel meat. And... Um, <laughs> She's hoping she's hoping that they don't get hunted here. So now I live in a very suburban area. There, there better not be any hunters around here. But uh, it's funny. I'm thinking, I don't. There's nobody. Nobody's going to hunt my squirrels. And my mom's talking about what good meat they are. So, the, so those are we, those. We both have our filters, and that's it's based on our own life experiences. So. It's hard from, and I don't, I try not to name my squirrels, but I found that over time they do have names, they do have nicknames. So trying to just see them as squirrels, and uh, it's, hard, it's hard for all of us, right? Because we have filters. We want, we, I, I don't let them eat out of my hands. I don't want to, 
tame them, but I have visions sometimes of things like that. And when they become, I don't, I think if they start feeding out of my hand, then they're not going to be safe in their wooded areas. So we all have our, we all have our own filters. It's very hard to see things clearly. So realistic worldview is how we can do that. And so many, that's how we learn so many of our lessons. So our meditation is an integral part of our daily life and, and the way our daily life is. So it's, then we begin to take the wisdom and what we see and what we experience and all of that becomes that realistic worldview, right understanding. So uh, hopefully I'll see you all on Sunday. And if you have any comments or questions or would like to correct me because I have, uh, I am, uh, I may, there may be things that I'm not seeing clearly about the Tibetan teachings. But I think Robert Thurman is really doing a wonderful job of uh, speaking to everyone. And we can value that. We can value everyone's Buddhist path because when we, when we can see things more clearly just from reading a different person's expression of it, I think that's wonderful. So absolutely we can't meditate today. So please sit uh, with yourself. Our time is up, but sit, sit and just, you can reflect or you can just work with being, having your day become better because you have been able to work a little bit with uh, calming the mind and stabilizing it, helping you get through the day. And if you can't do anything else, you can stop and breathe and focus on your breath. If you have anxiety or if you have, uh, if you become irritated or feel anything rising within you like anger or sadness, you can sit and just be with the breath. You may need just to experience it to let it pass. During the holidays, I'm seeing on Facebook too, people are, people are going through experiences of uh, missing others, and there may, be, there may just be those rising emotions of missing someone or missing the way things used to be, family members not getting together as much or uh, being alone or feeling, oh, the ho- everyone else is having a holiday experience extravaganza and you're not but just sometimes we need to sit with that and allow it to rise and experience those feelings and then allow it to pass we don't need to hang on to it for the rest of the day because those thoughts those memories are not who we are and we can we can feel them and deal with them when they arise but then gently let them pass and that's how we work with them. Eventually, they become uh, they become harmless, and they become uh, we they they soften, and we can work with them without it being painful. So we don't want to repress those, but when we work with them, we just allow them to rise up, look at them, feel them, and then we let them pass. And it might, they might need to come up 30 more times, but that's a good way to work with them. Really see them from all angles.
and it will it will come time when it's okay to let them pass away. Thank you. I'll be with you Saturday with some news and announcements, but I'll see you I mean not Saturday, Sunday. I'll see you Sunday. Thank you.